tonight. We're gonna, I'm going to get right into it tonight. We're going to go through 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and 6. And um, I need you to put your, your big girl and big boy pants on tonight because uh, we're going to cover some tough topics tonight. And how many know where there's people, there are problems? Amen. And, uh, and so uh, Paul, dealing with the Corinthians here, uh, he, he just, uh, he lovingly is helping them change uh, their perspective. In chapter 1, we saw that the Corinthian believers were divided, and some were like, hey, we like Paul, we like Apollos, and you've heard me talk about that, and, and, and he, Paul just told them, hey, you guys should be united, and you shouldn't be divided. And here, uh, we see them uh, united, but really, they should have been divided. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, uh, there was sin in the house, but they were united on sin, but they were on the wrong side of sin, and they should have been divided because how many know that God, what God calls sin is wrong? It's not your personal preference, but what God calls sin is sin. And, and whether you like it or don't like it, uh, man, you, you've got to draw the line and say, hey, I, I, this is sin, and I call it wrong because God calls it wrong. Amen? And, and so uh, they had to let this, and so we're going to talk about this. They had to let uh, sexual immorality uh, had come in and defiled the church and their lives. I, mean, I remember I told you the Corinthians, they were in the Las Vegas of their time. They were in that city of Corinth, and it was, it was crazy. And so here he deals with unity and, and now morality, and, and he's saying this, trust in God. So chapter 5, it says this. It is, a, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. Now, how many know that you don't want any preacher coming into the church that's the first thing that they say, right? And, and so he's calling them out. And, and, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. How many know that if it's happening in the church and the pagans even frown on it, it's bad? Right? It's bad, bad. Uh, for man... Come on, for a man has his father's wife. And so what he's saying there, so sexual immorality or the Greek word uh, for that sexual immorality is pornea. Uh, Can you guess where we get our word pornography from? Right there. Uh, If you have a King James Version, it says fornication. How many have ever heard that word? Fornication. Fornication includes this. Are you ready? I'm going to give you a list of what fornication according to scripture is. Illicit, unlawful sexual intercourse. All right, there's one. Number two, adultery, sexual immorality, homosexuality, sex with animals. Told you, I told you, put your big, big boy pants on. Sexual intercourse with close relatives. And the last one is this, any form of idolatry. So um, it's amazing to me if we were to make the comparison between Corinth and Las Vegas, um, man, uh, there's, there's a lot of common ground there, really, I mean, in all honesty. And so uh, the Corinthians, they, they were living their life, and, and uh, the church here, and Paul saying, hey, there is something that is, that is terribly going on. There's a fornicator. There's a, there's a minister in your midst who you guys are letting minister who is fornicating, who is sinfully, uh, sinning willfully. And, and, and it says here in, in uh, one in, in verse 1, it says this, that the, this man has his father's wife. You say, well, was that his mother? No, it was his stepmother that he was, this person was having a relationship with his stepmother. Crazy, right? How many know we live in a fallen world? A corrupt world. 
And so even the carnal culture of Corinth was taken about by this leader. And they were like, man, why is this guy that's a leader in the church doing this? This is bad. How many know it's really bad when the world says it's bad, right? And, and the world loves to see Christians mixing with the world. Come on. They love to see that because what it does is it allows them to look at their own lives and they say, huh, if the Christians are doing it, my standard can be lowered too, right? It eases their conscience and it justifies their lifestyle. So knowing that, uh, uh, one of, uh, you know, if you know that, one of Satan's greatest tactics is this, to get Christians involved in immorality and sin. It's what the, that's what the devil's trying to do, get you involved in immorality and sin. It doesn't always mean sexually, but that's one of the things that he does. So look at this. Um, and, and he runs the same play over and over and over, right? He simply tempts people in an area. All right, this is good right here. He tempts people in the area of agape love, right? I'm going to pull you in with agape love, right kind of love for one another, which opens the door uh, for concern and compassion. And after a time, it turns to this eros word, which is love that is sensual, right? What happens in most uh, uh, people that have affairs? It starts with agape love and concern, right? And then it turns to sensual love. Come on. And it's why men, uh, listen, listen, it's why men should counsel men and women should counsel women. You know what I do? If I have to counsel a woman in this church, my wife is in the office with me. You know why? Because I'm not going to leave any door open for anybody. Amen? Because God has called me to a higher place. And so we have to understand that these stats, they they blew me away. In the UK, 60% of divorces were caused by Facebook. It's amazing. 81% of divorce lawyers use social media to attribute to affairs. So they go back and they read back through social media and they could find out where someone, where an affair had started or where it, where it had, had been gone, whether that's an emotional affair or whatever the case. And 50% of users go on to meet a, a person. So it's interesting. So it's a temptation. And, and you say, Pastor, are you, are you beating down on Facebook? Are you beating down on social media? Yeah, kind of I am. Because certain things, if they're tempting you, you need to step back and say, hey, God, this is not good for me. All right, it's quiet in here. It's a temptation. It's a trap that the devil uses. Hey, well, this person that I went to high school with, they have genuine concern about me. And the devil's saying, oh, I'll pull you in, and then I'll get you with eros love. I'll get you with sensual love. And I don't care what your age is. You say, I'm older. It doesn't matter. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 through 13 says this. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he... That he stands, take heed lest he fall. Listen, if you think you're the strongest person in the world, you better prepare yourself because you can fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is common to man. God is faithful and he will uh, not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also what? Provide a way of what? Escape that you may be able to endure it. So when we're tempted, we have to pray. God... Where's the door? When you're tempted in any situation, any kind of sin, God, where's the door? Because, Lord, you said you would make a door. So how do I get out of this situation? Help me. You know, if that means going to your spouse and saying, listen, I've opened a door. I need, I need to tell you about this. So that'll put a stop to it. 
Verse, verse 2. And you, uh, and you are ar- arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. So rather than feeling uh, grieved or sad over this, the Corinthians, these believers were saying, eh, we're just open-minded people, right? Boys, does that sound like our society today? Well, we're just open-minded, you know. Uh, you know, it's okay, right? Uh, we are tolerant. We are politically correct because, uh, man, it's okay. And, you know, we're allowing this brother to remain in his sin. And the Bible says, hey, call sin, sin. Amen? Oh, our society is so, uh, man, they, they, they say, oh, open your mind. Be tolerant. And Jesus says there is one way to heaven. And we live in a time where, where we're facing spiritual opposition like never before, but, but we need repentance. Come on, somebody, right? We need repentance. We need the Holy Spirit to, to come in and show us, hey, you, you need to get this area cleaned up in your life, and we need to be called back to repentance. So uh, I love Psalm 24, verses 2 through 6. It says this, give us clean hands, Lord, and give us pure hearts. We ought to pray that every day. Lord, give me clean hands, Lord, to give me a pure heart, Lord, so I, so I don't fall to temptation. And the reason we don't repent is this, what Paul said in the first part of that verse is arrogance. You know why you don't repent? Arrogance and pride. Well, what if somebody thinks this about me if I go to the altar? Arrogance and pride. Paul's saying the man doing this sexual sin should be removed from his position instead of just, man, going with the flow. Look at this. Verse 3 goes on a little bit further. Uh, For Though absent in body, I am present in spirit. So he's saying, I'm not here with you, but listen to me. I'm praying for you guys. I, and that, that tells me that somebody can pray at a distance for you. And he's saying, I, I, and, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. Verse 4, when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present, when I'm finally there, uh, with the power of the Lord Jesus, you are to deliver uh, this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. What? So that this spirit may, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. So, so what does Paul tell tell them to do? Turn this man over to Satan. What? That's, that's harsh. That seems so tough, right? Paul, this is not the first time Paul did this. He 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 did this in another uh, epistle too. Not not. Uh, um, not for the demise of his soul, but for the restoration of it. So, so you know, sometimes, man, people, they're, they're in their sin, and they're going to do what they want, no matter what you tell them, no matter how you tell them. And sometimes you just got to take your hand off and say, okay. And that's what Paul is, is, is saying. So he's saying this, so the flesh could be destroyed. So that, you know what the devil does? He tears us down, right? He brings us down. And this is where, uh, and Paul says this, this is where you guys should be divided on this. You guys are all united saying, hey, this guy's okay, but he is, he's doing this sinful act, this fornication with his, his stepmom here. And you guys should be in unity on this saying, this is wrong. And there you are. You're united on the wrong side. And Paul tells them to stay away from him. And let him live his life of immorality and away from, from the covering of the body of, of the church there with joy, where, where he would have joy and peace and covering of the sin. But, and he, and he says until they, he gets things right with him, come on, he, he tells them, hey, uh, don't fellowship with him again. And we'll see in Second Corinthians a little bit further on after they've dealt with this, they took Paul's advice. Guess what? This man comes back and God restores. How many know that God restores? 
It's easy to throw, throw this guy under the, under the bus, right? It's easy for us to do that, but God will restore. And so, uh, you know, uh, this is good advice for us as a congregation. And, and as parents, if you're a parent in here, if someone willfully keeps sinning, we oftentimes have to let them see the benefits of sin. You want to keep sinning? Go ahead. You're going to reap the benefits of sin. You're, you're going to be lonely. You're going to be broken. You're going to be depressed. So Paul gives three reasons about turning someone over to Satan. And, and, and he says this. We, we do it in the character of Christ. We don't do it just to let them go, we just, we, but we do it in the character of Christ. That means we, uh, we don't do it because we're frustrated. You ever just, man, get so frustrated with someone, you're just like, go, whatever, done with you, right? That's not what Paul's saying. We're not doing it because we're done with them, but we do it. We say, God, Lord, you, you help them to come back to you. Lord, you know what's best, and Lord, you, you know what will get them back on track. If that means they got to hit rock bottom, how many have hit rock bottom before God picked you back up? Amen. Story after story. I could promise you there are people in here, probably testimony after testimony. Here's the second thing. We do it with the authority of an apostle. And so, uh, you know, Paul was an apostle and using scripture and the Bible and authority given to him and his gifting. He he's telling them, hey, you got to do this. We don't just do it. We, we do it with the, the authority of an apostle. I, I'm learning this one as a pastor. I cannot fix everyone's problems. I want to. But sometimes if you don't want to fix your problems, I can't fix your problems then. And one of the things that I, I had a statement, you know, um, concerning a, a situation someone in the church told me. He said, until that person wants to fix themselves, it doesn't matter what, what their parents want. It doesn't matter what the pastor wants. It doesn't matter what the people of this church wants. Until that person wants to change, they won't change. And there have been times the Holy Spirit has told me, let them go. And I'm like, man, that seems harsh. The Holy Spirit said, let him go. And so, I, I, and, and so here's the last thing we do. We do it in the power of Jesus. No other name. Um, you know, uh, besides the name of Jesus. Not a group of people. Because here's what happens. If we, if we do it under, the, uh, uh, under a group of people, we become bitter with somebody, right? Man, they're not changing their life. It's, it's, but, you know, but it's only through Jesus, come on, that we have power over Satan, right? That's it. So, all right, the destruction of the flesh refers to God's turning sexual behavior into affliction. So Hebrews eleven twenty five through 26 says, uh, you can enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Sexual immorality, fornication can be fun for a season. But it will leave you empty. It will leave you broken. It will leave you lost. It will destroy your marriage. Come on. Come on, somebody, right? Uh, and here's what happens. It, it lifts the veil of protection, you know, uh, of the church. And when, 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 like what Paul's saying, to, to release them. Uh, and then they have to recognize. And, and, and God begins to show them in, in their sin. And they begin to repent. And they return. Like the prodigal son, uh, you know, the veils were, were lifted off. Why am I here? I could go be a servant at my dad's house. It's much better there. When you hit rock bottom, you know, hey, you come running back to what what is good. So all church discipline has restoration as its ultimate goal, all right? We don't do that to be mean, but we do that for restoration purposes. We see Paul doing this right here, this epistle. This is a beautiful thing. Verse 6, your boasting is not good. Uh, Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Verse 7, 
Cleanse out of the old leaven that you may uh, be a new lump as you uh, really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, but the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So uh, it's true that when you're baking bread... And you want it to rise, what do you do? You, you put a little yeast, you put a little leaven in there, right? And it'll rise. Have you ever tried to make bread and forget to put leaven in it or, or yeast in it, right? And it's flat. Uh, if you put too much yeast in it, it blows up, right? And a little bit of leaven goes a long ways, right? And doesn't take much leaven to make the bread rise. And it doesn't take much sin to destroy and kill you. The wages of sin is... The wages of sin is... That's leaven. I don't know how to make that any more clear. A little bit of sin, come on, will affect the whole thing. And what Paul's saying here, hey, a little bit of sin in the house, in the church, in your home, in your life, will affect the whole thing. Paul draws the comparison of the leaven and and sin, uh, and and he commits us to, to come back to holiness. And he's telling the Corinthians, come back to purity. The day before the Passover was called uh, the day of preparation. And when they celebrate the Passover and the day of preparation, the Jews would rid their house of any traces of leaven in preparation for the Passover. Matter of fact, they would do this. They'd almost make a game of it. They'd take a piece of leaven bread and they would hide it somewhere in their house and they would tell their kids, hey, you have to go find the leaven because we have to get it out of the house. They would almost make a game out of it. You know, and the kids would run around trying to find the leaven, and they would get it out of the house. How many know that sin has no place in our house? Sin has no place in my house. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It has no place in your house. It has no place in your physical home. It has no place in God's house. Amen? I know you're hearing this tonight. So uh, we've been called out of darkness or out of Egypt. Egypt is always a sin through the blood uh, of the lamb and through the cross, uh, through the Passover lamb. So uh, let's go ahead and freedom and not sin, but, but stay away from sin. And don't let sin puff us up or spread through our fellowship so easily, right, at times. So stop trying to, to mix things or trying to contaminate your relationship with Christ with sin. Come on, I I know I'm speaking to somebody. Sexual sins, bitterness, pride, arrogance, malice, wickedness. 1 Peter 1, 16, second part of that says, You shall be holy for I am holy. Peter is, is, is quoting the Old Testament. God said this. To the children of Israel, be holy for I am holy. And, and he says it multiple times in scripture. And Peter is, is just reiterating this. Hey, be holy because God is holy. Don't let sin come in and, and, and ruin you. Purity is not a rule but a condition of the heart. I love that. Purity is not a rule but a condition of the heart. Lord, I'm going to live purely because I love you. Verse 9, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexual, sexually immoral people, not at all, meaning the sexually immoral of the world or the greedy and the swindlers or idolaters. Since then, uh, you would need to go to the world. But now I'm writing you uh, not to associate with anyone who bears the name of a brother. He is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is in an idolater, uh, a reviler, a drunkard or a swindler or not even to eat with such one. Man, potent, isn't it? 
Paul's not saying that we, we shouldn't hang out with sinners or pagans because guess what? We expect sinners and pagans to act like sinners and pagans act, right? But we expect more out of believers, the ones that should know better. But Bibles is, and, and what's going on here is they're doing these sins, these sexual sins and these fornicators and they're greedy, they're swindlers, they're idolaters, but they're doing it uh, uh, willfully. It's not that they're, they're, they're tempted by it and they fall. No, it's they're doing it willfully. I, I, I am doing this on purpose. They're making God's grace cheap. Come on, somebody, right? So why does Paul say we should cut off from them and, and abstain from them and, and, and perpetually the one who sins or the one that knows better? This is not a person who is who's having a struggle, but someone who's willfully sinning. Do you hear what I'm, what I'm saying? This is somebody that's just doing it because I can. The first uh, is to correct the offender. What do you mean? Imagine this. There isn't a person in this world who, uh, if you, the doctor said, hey, we need to do an, uh, an MRI on you because we think there's a, something going on inside of you. And you did an MRI or a CAT scan and they found a tumor in you uh, that you would go and you were before the doctor and, and you had this tumor. The doctor said, hey, we really need to do surgery on you right now to get that thing out. There isn't a person in here who'd be like, no, nah, it's, my, it's my pet sin. It's just leave it there. It'll be okay, right? But spiritually, why do we do that? Holy Spirit's like, let me cut that out of you. Uh, but wait, 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 wait. Right? And this is what we do with those people. We show them. We give them this thing right here, the sword of the Spirit, because guess what? It can cut between the bone and the marrow. And, and it, it rightly divided. This thing can clean you up, come on, and fix you and make you right once and for all. Amen? The other thing is when we, when we hang around those who willfully sin, we start justifying in our own lives. Come on, right? Hey, they're doing it, so I guess I'll do it, right? A little bit of leaven, come on, ruins the whole kit caboodle, right? You ever been around somebody, um, man, uh, and, and you start picking up the way that they're acting? Come on, you can be honest. Hello, That's what happens in our lives. We, we start hanging around someone who's willfully sinning. Guess what? We start doing what they are doing. The wages of sin is death. Every time. There's no exceptions. Secondly, we are, we are not to fellowship with, the, in the, uh, uh, with insistent and persistent sinners in order to protect the body. So when Jesus arrived... At Lazarus' tomb, here's a good example of this. Martha said, Lord, if you'd only been here, he would not have died. How many of you remember that? Martha said that. And then Jesus said, you know, I am the resurrection. I am alive. And, she, and, and, and that had that whole conversation. But did you know, if you keep reading that, Mary, a little bit further in that chapter, John chapter 11, she says this. And she mumbles this phrase. Jesus, if you'd have been here, he would not have died. Guess what? Leaven. Unbelief. It spreads from one to another, Right? Uh, and I know we begin to talk like uh, people oftentimes that we're around and we become uh, their flavor and their behavior. Come on, somebody, right? And Paul's saying stay away from, from drunkards and idolaters and fornicators and, and coveters, people that willfully are doing these things. Those who know better, not talking about unbelievers, not, not talking about them, but people that know better that are still doing it and making, making grace just look, look terrible. So look at this, verse 12. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? He's talking about people that don't know Christ. 
It is not those inside the church uh, who uh, it is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge. God judges those outside. We are to judge those inside. God judges those outside. Let me say that again. We are to judge those. God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. So Paul's telling him again, get that guy out of there. What about the stepmother here in this story that this guy is is having sexual relations with? What happens with her? Paul says, she's not my concern because she's not a believer. This guy that's preaching, this guy that's speaking, this guy that's a leader, he's my problem. Evidently, you know, uh, so Paul's not interested in, in her. So this is an interesting because we, we as Christians, we are usually quick to judge the world. Right? We're quick to judge them. But often, man, when it comes to judging our own congregation and our own self, sometimes woo, we're slow, right? We give a lot more grace. And, oh, come on. How many know we, it's, it, you know, with our culture, we like to get out. We like to march. We like to vote. We like to talk about the world's sins. We like to turn... Uh, but here's what happens. We like to turn a blind, blind eye to our own sin. You shouldn't be aborting babies. But we'll gossip about somebody. We get it backwards and we're to deal with Christians and, and let God take care of the world's iniquities. I, I might add this at the end of this chapter that God uh, doesn't tolerate sin that... that um, you know what? We as a people and as a church cannot afford to tolerate it. If God doesn't tolerate it, we can't afford to tolerate it. How many would be right in the center of God's will? How many want to be holy and righteous like God is? You know what? Then we can't tolerate sin in our life. Sin has, has no place in our lives. And Paul, with this apostolic anointing, is warning the Corinthians and us today, sin is corrupt. Sin is corrupt. Sin is death. Sin will take you down. I know you think it's fun for a season, but it will take you out. A little bit of sin can create drama. Come on. A little bit can create drama and pull us away from God. And, and, and Paul dealt with division. He dealt with sexual sins, and he dealt with idolatry. And chapter 6 starts with this. He, he starts with lawsuits against believers. Man, what a shift in gears. Talking about sexual immorality, fornication. All right, deal with this. Now let's go to this. So lawsuit. Here we go. Chapter 6, if you need a subheading right here. Lawsuits against believers. Look at this. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the, uh, before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, you uh, are you incompetent to try uh, trivial cases? Verse 3. Do you not know that we are to judge the angels? How much more, then, matters... Uh, pertaining to this life. Verse 4. So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? So what I need to understand here is this Corinthians, they were sue-happy people. They love to just take everybody to court. Um, historians tell us that, that thousands would be on a jury. Can you imagine a thousand people on a jury? 
How did they ever come to some kind of consensus? Everybody wanted to be a part and tear everybody down. I mean, this was just happening throughout. And, and, and those that were not believers, but it seeped into the church. How I many know that when the world starts seeping into the church, we got it backwards. The church should be seeping into the world, amen, or overflowing into the world. And so not only did the Corinthians believers have a problem with moral looseness, but they were, they were filing these meaning, meaningless lawsuits. And... and uh, and uh, we are, and Paul says this, we are to judge angels and those saved in the tribulation. You say, what? What are you talking about? Huh? Yeah. Did you know that? Did you know that you're a judge? According to Revelation 20 and other passages, as we reign with Jesus in the millennial kingdom, uh, part of our job will be to govern and judge. That means we're going we're gonna, to uh, judge angels and those uh, who were saved during the tribulation. Did you know that? I'm going to look at some angels and say, hey, uh, how come I got hurt here and you didn't come down and help me? No, I'm not going to do that. I don't think that's what it's talking about. But we, you and I, will be involved in enforcing righteousness. Personally, I, I believe this, that I, I, you know, and you can believe what you want to believe. But I, uh, um, but I believe that we're going to um, be judging the angels that rebelled against the Lord. And one of the questions that I, I can't help but think about the angels, the fallen angels that went with Satan, that, 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 that I can think of, how can you turn your back from a God whom you've seen? But there's millions and billions of people throughout time who have put their trust in God whom they've never seen. It just kind of blows my mind. Uh, uh, but Paul is asking that. That's a whole other thing. Paul is asking the Corinthian believers, if, if you will one day be judging the world and angels, why in the world are you putting your trust in the judicial system to judge yourself? Uh, you know, I think about this. Think about our Supreme Court justices, you know. And, and I'm always, when we get a new... Uh, Supreme Court justice, you know, I'm always, they come in and you feel like, man, they're going to be good. They're going to do really good and give them a little bit of time. There's this phenomenon that happens when they get to Washington, the little 11 in Washington, D.C. Come on, somebody, right? Begins to spread. And where they were, they start to shift gears. And 10 years ago, they were this way. And then 10 years now, they, they, they shift, right? And they, uh, come on, pray for Washington, D.C. And, 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 and so this question at the end is, is this, is, you know, he's asking this. Man, if you have an issue, if you guys have an issue, go to the church first. And let's see if we can reconcile that. Let's see if we can, let's get some wisdom from some, something that is more potent than the justice system. Look at this, verse 5. I, I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers. But brother goes to law against brother and, and, and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. So why not rather suffer wrong? So the Corinthians believers were making these frivolous lawsuits and dishonest charges against each other. Um, and, and like the Corinthians, they were, they were cheating and lying to get ahead. Boy, come on, somebody, right? So Paul's basically saying it's, it's better to be cheated by uh, dishonest honest people and, and, and to dishonor ones uh, than to dishonor your Christian witness before pagans. Let me put it to you this way. Turn the other cheek. Give up your cloak. Go the extra mile. 
Not my words, Jesus' words. He's saying this, Paul's saying this. It's better that than to defend your wrong. I'm not saying if, if something is not right and you know you, you should do that, but it's better sometimes to de- absorb that thing and 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 let bygones be bygones and say, Lord, I trust you. Why not rather be defrauded? <laughs> but you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brother. So he's telling the Corinthians that rather than go through the legal hassles to defend themselves judicially. The better way is to just trust the Lord. It's sad that we trust Judge Judy more than we trust an everlasting father. Judge Wapner, I think he's been long gone, a long time ago, right? Psalm 27 says this, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust what? In the name of our Lord, our God. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understandings. Oh, I, the justice system does your own understanding. Lord, I trust you in the process. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will what? Make straight your path. 134 times in scripture, we see the word trust. Think the Lord's telling us something? Trust me. I got you. Oh, this is a dichotomy to what the world teaches. It says, live for what you want. It feels good. Do it, right? And Paul warns us and says, no, sir. No, ma'am. If you, if you live in sin, he says this, that, that, that you will not inherit the kingdom of God. So Paul says, rather than go through the, the legal hassles to defend yourself uh, judicially, better ways to trust the Lord. Look at this, verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let me read that again. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Everyone say deceived. Uh, He's going to give a very exhaustive list of people who will not inherit the kingdom of God. Are you ready for this? Neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters nor adulterers so the violator of truth, the sinful, will not inherit the kingdom of God. This, uh, 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 this so uh, he goes on to say, do not be deceived and begins listing these sins to the Corinthians. We're dealing with them and they deal with this today. Second Timothy 3 verses 12 through 14 says, indeed, all who desire to live godly life in Christ uh, Jesus will be persecuted. Look at verse 13. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe, knowing from whom you learned it. Paul's telling them, hey, you know what to do. You got to do what's right. Many people are deceived. Everyone say deceived. In our society, you can look around and see people that have, have scales over their eyes. They're deceived. They don't know the truth. If, a, if, if it feels good, do it. But I'm here to remind you that God is looking for a holy and a righteous people who will crucify their flesh and say, it's not me, Lord, but it's for you. And, and you know, and so uh, you say, well, pastor, that, that's hard. Can I tell you something? Any old dead fish can float downstream, but it takes a live one to go against counterculture. First thing that we can learn uh, about fornication is fornication. Uh, write this down. Fornication, it jeopardizes one's eternal state. All right? 
Here's the next little bit of scripture. This goes on to say, this is that, that list continued on. Uh, let me read that list again. I'll go back to it. Uh, it says, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. Come on, somebody. This translation actually says homosexuality. If you have a King James Version, it says infeminate or abusers of themselves. Let me break that down for you. The Greek word for effeminate speaks of a passive role in homosexual behavior where one, is, one person is a, f- a feminine person, right? Uh, feminine behavior. The abuser of themselves is, uh, with mankind speaks of the active role or the dominant role in a homosexual relationship or behavior. Come on. God is not picking sides there. Some might say, well, wait a minute, Pastor. It says men in the King James. It says unrighteous people unrighteous anyone that is living this kind of life is unrighteous which is non-gender specific it is that person is a sinner paul in the bible calls this activity unrighteous i didn't write it you don't have to like it but it's the truth the truth will set you free hmm I had someone once tell me that, you know, someone was in a relationship that was gay. And they said, you know, they just can't help it because they were born that way. And I, I, I thought about that statement. And I, I, that's why the Bible says you must be born again. All of us. We, we, it, come on, somebody, right? And, and I have an issue with that anyways. But uh, that's my personal issue. But, but I, I said, hold up. What the Bible calls unrighteous. The Bible calls unrighteous. We don't condone. Stop believing man's lies and start believing God's truths. Amen? Galatians 5. I'm going to give you some more scripture. Boy, you're like, man, this is heavy today. I'm sorry. It's just what it is. Galatians 5 calls it, calls it what it is. And 1 Corinthians right here calls it what it is. Ephesians 5 talks about it as well. It's not just one point in scripture. God again and again, and he confirms this statement. Hey, that is a sin. The Bible calls it unrighteous, not just here, but many places. If that hurts your feelings, I'm sorry. No, I'm not sorry. This is what I'll tell you. If that hurts your feelings and you're struggling with that, seek the Lord about it. Let him reveal that to you. Say, hey, his ways are higher than ours. And, and, but but I'll, I'll add to that list because here's the thing. That's not just talking about homosexuals, but it doesn't just stop there. But uh, it's not just targeting homosexuals, but it's talking about fornicators, adulterers, people dealing with idolatry. And then the list continues. And then it talks about thieves. Come on, somebody. Then it talks about greedy people. Then it talks about drunkards, nor revilers, or people that talk about other people, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's a very exhaustive list right there. And much and such were some of you, but you were washed. Come on, somebody. How many have been washed by the blood of the Lamb? You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. So this is talking to people who are not necessarily uh, uh, falling to temptation, but those who are willfully sinning, habitually practicing these sins over and over. Greedy people. And, and homosexuals are, are, are both sinners. Drunkards. Idolaters. Sinners. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying those who do this as freedom to do so are either not saved or they're jeopardizing their salvation. What is it, pastor? You know, uh, I, I don't know. 
I honestly don't know. I, I don't think that you can lose your salvation, but I do think you can freely walk away from it. Crucify the flesh, an old man, and be made, uh, made new through Christ Jesus. Amen? And Paul uses three terms when he talks about this change. Number one, you've got to be washed, meaning spiritually cleansed by, the, by God and being washed by the blood of the Lamb. How many have been set free by the blood of the Lamb that he has washed you? He has made you clean. What was dirty and what was ugly, he, he made right. Though your sins are scarlet, you, he has washed you. What? White as snow is what the Scripture tells us. Second thing he says is sanctified, which means this. You are set apart. God has made you different than the world. And so you are, when God says, hey, be holy for I am holy, I have set you apart. You can walk in holiness that I've called you to. And the third one is justified, which means declared righteous by God because Jesus worked on the cross just as if I had never sinned. So then he shifts gears here, Paul does, right here. And if you need a subheading here, he talks about fleeing sexual immorality. He comes right back around. He talks about, in chapter 5, talks about sexual immorality. And then he talks about lawsuits. And then he shifts back into fleeing sexual immorality. Verse 12, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. Everyone say that with me. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything is what Paul says. So uh, listen, Paul, he's reaching culturally to the Corinthians here because this was a statement. This was a slogan they walked around saying is all things are lawful for me. I can do whatever I want. Boy, does that sound like our society today? And they would go around and they would they would use this slogan to justify their immoral behavior. Have you ever tried to justify your behavior when you know you were wrong? Well, I know I shouldn't have been doing that, but Kentley was doing it. Drag Kentley down with me, right? Mm-hmm. And Paul's saying this, hey, you have freedom from the law of Moses. But listen, that does not give us a license to sin. And indulge the way uh, that we want to. Uh, uh, because, you know, when we do that, that means we're selfish. Come on, right? And, and this would only enslave them to sin that Jesus had freed them from. Who the Son has set free is what? Is free indeed. Who the Son has set free is free indeed. So look, look at this. Freed people. Look at me. Freed people. Free people. Freed people, free people. Well, I pray for people and they don't get freed. Freed people, free people. People who walk above temptation and the reproach of sin. Man, you can go up and you can pray for people because you've walked in a place that that person needs to walk in and you can declare things over them. I am free. I have grace, right? Amen. But why would I jeopardize the freedom in Christ for a moment of selfishness and, and fleshly desire? I can do all things. Paul's like, I, I have the freedom to do all these things, but I'm not going to do these things because I'm not going to be dominated by these things. Oh, I could give you a list. Oh, I could camp here all night long because, I mean, I could really go to town and dig and get down in your role and sit down next to you and talk to you because there are all things in our life that some things in our lives, man, we're free to do, but they are not beneficial to us 
spiritually. They do not help us spiritually. And, and Paul says this, if it makes my brother stumble, guess what? I should not be doing it. I know this isn't shout me down kind of stuff, but look at this. I'll, I'll continue on. Verse 13. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So the Corinthian culture held this position that the act of physical intimacy, I'll clean it up for you, was nothing more than for satisf- satisfying once, the same thing as satisfying your physical appetite. It's like, I'm hungry, so I'm going to go eat. It's what, it's what was happening. And they were like, well, hey, I, I, I really want to be physical and intimate with someone. Well, it's just an appetite. I just got to go fulfill it, right? And they just looked at it as no different than eating lunch or dinner. And they used to, uh, this saying, to justify their fornication and their, their sinful lifestyle. They would say, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, right? And Paul says, no, 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 not so. Physical intimacy involves the coming together, not only of two bodies, but of two souls. The very essence of one person, that which belongs to God. Let me break this down for you. The Corinthians said, oh, it's just an appetite. I just need to be filled. But God put restrictions on both eating and, and, and sexuality. And, and there's a difference. Come on. How many know that there's a sin of gluttony? How many know that? If you eat too much, the Bible calls it sin. Oh, pastor, I don't like that one. Me either. I have committed that sin a lot. And there's a sin of gluttony. Sure, the belly can handle it. But it's still a sin. And there's a sin of fornication. And that's anything outside the covenant of marriage with your spouse, your one spouse. It's all sin. And the sin of excess is all about the receiver or the consumer. And that's pride. What do I get out of this? It's for me. My moment, right? And remember, the, the original sin was based on pride. I, I don't remember if I talked about this in here, if I talked about it in, in, in uh, uh, Growth Track. And it's all about me, what I want. Give me, 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 right? Verse 14, and, and God raised the, uh, the Lord will also raise us by his power. How many know that there's hope? Amen. Do you not know... That your bodies are members of Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become what? One. One flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord comes the spirit with him so the second thing that fornication does is this first it jeopardizes our eternal state but then it agonizes our holy king paul says don't you realize do you realize that when you you're sinfully doing those sexual immoral things fornication guess what you're bringing jesus into it (sighs) boy that changes your whole perspective doesn't it 
If, if you are in an immoral situation, you're putting Jesus there. And, you know, I, I love this story. There's a burglar who broke into a house one night, and he shined the flashlight around looking for valuables. I know many of you have heard this, but laugh for me in courtesy. And when he picked up a, a jewelry box to place in his sack, a, a strange disembodied voice echoed from the dark saying, Jesus is watching you. And he nearly jumped out of his skin. He clicked his flashlight off and froze. Then he heard nothing more for a bit, and he shook his head. And then he, and he clicked his flashlight back on and began looking for, searching for valuables. And after a few seconds, clear as a bell, he heard, Jesus is watching you. This time he was freaked out, and he shined the light around frantically, looking for the source of voice. Finally, in the corner of the room, he put the flashlight beam, and, it, and he rested it on a parrot. He said, hey, did you say that? He hissed at the parrot, and yet the parrot, parrot said, yep. And then he squawked. He said, I'm just trying to warn you. The bur- burglar relaxed. Warn me, huh? Who in the world are you? He said, Moses, replied the bird. Moses, the burglar laughed. What kind of people would name a bird Moses? And the bird said, the kind that would name the pet Wattwaller Jesus. Thank you for those courtesy laughs. I wonder how many of us would be tempted to do the things of our little pet sins if we knew the Lord was physically right there with us. If we were looking on our phones, things we shouldn't be looking at, and Jesus was sitting there right there next to us, we would, we would change course fast. Hey, let me just put it another step further. What if your spouse was sitting there next to you? Let me go a little further. What if it was one of your kids? You wouldn't do it. Jesus is watching, amen? You know what we would do? We'd close the tabs on our computer. If we knew Jesus was watching, we'd... We'd, we'd, we'd sit as far away from the bar as we could if we, come on somebody, right? Knew Jesus was watching. We wouldn't go hear people that sing in concerts that blaspheme the name of the Lord. Oh, come on, pastor, you're coming right now. I might as well just, I might as well just blow it up tonight, right? Verse 18 says this, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. Get ready. But the sexual, sexuality, uh, sexually immoral person sins against his own body. It's a different kind of sin. People say, are there different kinds of sins? This tells me that there's different kinds of sins. Look at this. I'll tell you why. Fornication jeopardizes our eternal state. It, 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 it agonizes our holy king, right? And, and thirdly, fornication compromises one's being. Through the repercussions of every sin, uh, our, our bad sexual sins are unique in that uh, they're the only sin where you sin against yourself. What do you mean? Proverbs 6.32 says this, he who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys what? Himself is what it says. He will get wounds and dishonor and his disgrace will not be wiped away. Strong words. I'm going to tell you what, this, what Scripture says. It says that we are made in the image of the triune God. Triune God, three parts. 
God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You are made of a body, you are made of a soul, and you are made of a spirit. So the body relates to, to our physical world, right? This is what we feel. That's why when I hit this, it can hurt my hand. If I smash my finger, that's the physical world. The soul is one's essence or one's personality that relates to people. The spirit relates to God and, and his will eternally. So thus, every time someone engages in immoral activity of sexual fornication, a part of his soul or her soul is permanently and irreplaceably forfeited. Thus, the person who persists in promiscuity becomes less and less of a person as a piece of their soul is stripped away each encounter at a time. I don't know if you've ever been around a prostitute who's been down a long road. They are broken people. They are lost people. And, and, and if you've ever been around anybody like that, you can just sense that their identity has been just stripped away, away, away. Look at this. Verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Verse 20. For you were bought with a price. So glory to God. So glorify God in your body. So um, I'm going to do this. I'm going to ask, Kentley, can you help me on the piano, buddy? Uh, just play whatever you want to play. Just play whatever you want to play. In, in the Old Testament, Nebuchadnezzar tore down the temple in Jerusalem. In the New Testament, General Titus of the Roman Empire came and destroyed the temple. So, too, the enemy wants to destroy your temple. The body, your body, which is the, where the Holy Spirit dwells. He, he, he wants to burn the temple with lust in order that you might be burned out and decommissioned for ministry and purpose. I'm going to be honest with you. As a pastor, I have yet to, to meet a person that I've counseled that ever came into my office or ever talked to me and said, I'm glad I committed adultery. Never once. Never once. I've never counseled anyone where they came in and said, I'm happy to be bound by pornography. I have, I've, I've heard them time and time again come in and go, if I could go back in a moment of time, I would change that moment because that cost me so much and it broke me so bad. I would go back and I would save my marriage that I destroyed. The Bible is, is, is simple when it, when it says flee from fornication. It's, it's real simple. Flee from it. Run from it. Run fast as you can. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says this. No temptation, and I read this earlier, has overtaken you. That is common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with, this, with the temptation, he will also what provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So if you're in a moment of temptation, should I do this, Lord? Should I do this, Lord? You know what? You ought to say, Lord, where is the door? Help me get out of here. In the Old Testament, there's a great example of this. Potiphar's wife, she said, she grabbed Joseph. She said, lie with me. Lie with me. Have sex with me. And you know what? Joseph could have, and who would have ever known? But him and Potiphar's wife. 
He was far from his family. He was out in, in a different country. He, he could have easily got away with it. But as he began to run, she pulled his coat and he ran for his life, fleeing fornication. That's, that's a great example. Paul says to the Corinthians and to us today, flee youthful lust. He says to Timothy and, and, and to run to those who call on the Lord, to seek after the Lord and walk with the Lord in 2 Timothy 2, 22. In other words, run from sin. It leads to death every time. And listen, if you run from sin, you will do well, people of God. Will you just bow your heads with me?